This is a Centre for Stories podcast. I'm Claudia from the team here at the Centre for Stories, and I'm excited to introduce you to our story this week. Before we get into it, I wanted to share with you one of our upcoming events. On August 9th, we will be partnering with The Big Issue to launch their fiction edition. The evening will feature readings from local literary figures, including Ron Bradfield, Jay Anderson, Karen Escobar, Ivan Manning, and more. Your ticket will also include a copy of the magazine. Tickets for this event are available via our website. You will also find details in the information section for this podcast. We hope to see you there. Today's story is part of our Roaring 90s series, a collection of stories from our community elders collected throughout 2018. This collection of stories features the memories of yesteryear, accounts of war, racism, technological triumph, assimilation and social change. Doug Sedgwick was 91 when this story was recorded. He shares his memories of Perth and Subiaco in the old days and reflects on his life the destructive reality of war, technological advances that changed the world, and his own experiences with love and loss. I'm George Douglas Sedgwick, born in uh, 1927 in Beverly in, on the Great Southern Railway. And, uh, and the reason why I was born there, not in Pingley, which was the home t- hometown, was that they had... Uh, in the hospital of Pindley, septicemia. And in those days, no antibiotics, no nothing. So all they used to do is just close the hospital for six months. And uh, that's why I was born in Beverly. Uh, my mother's name was Joan uh, Curtis, and she was, the, her, she was from Pindley. My father's name was Alexander Douglas Sedgwick, and he... Uh, um, where was he born? In the stairs, down in Perth, would have been in Perth. Before the First World War, everyone wanted land. And the dream of English people coming out, although he was born here, the dream they'd come out for land. So he'd done veterinary science in um, Sydney, which the only place you could do. Uh, and uh, he, uh, so the family eventually bought a property in Pindley, or Popaninning, as the real name was. Uh, and that's, hence, that's how he met my mother, presumably, yes. We asked Doug what it was like moving from the country to the city during the Great Depression. We lived in Cogdon Road in, in Subiaco, in a little semi-detached place, which is still there. Um, and I remember sitting at the back, they had just little, what sort of porch, I suppose it was, and they must have been talking about, or parents talking about how bad it was. And I, 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 I remember saying, well, it doesn't matter because we're all together. And that's all that matters as a child. You, as long as you get food and you've got a, a mother and father and, and a sister to, uh, that you... You just, that, that was all that mattered. That was their life. Doug painted a picture of life from yesteryear, speaking about the changes in transportation. 
Well, it was just just horses. That the, there was horses cut. There were horses for everything. There were no cars in that photo of showed you the school. There were that there were there were no motor cars, no engines at all. So everything horses were everything. So there was uh, they had that they had to have blacksmiths to put shoes on them, you know, the good luck shoes as they used to be. It was just something you did. If the baker's horse was going past, uh, your mother would say, you know, just take that bucket and go and get everything, unless he, well, ho- hoping the, door, the horse had left something for us or for some the people across the road or whatever. When we were on the farm in Mora, or, uh, now they are, our relations that are farmers, they, their tractors never stop. And some of them, they'll have... And someone else will drive it at the night, and they'll drive it all day. But with horses, it was it, it had to be more relaxed because the horses need feeding. Doug told us about his first day of school in Perth, or the longest day of his life. Worst day of my life. I had to go to school. Well, my mother took me there, and that was a walk, not far from well from. Uh, uh, just past the children's hospital to where modern school is now, and which was there then, and left me. Of course, I would, you'd walk where we walked everywhere. So anyway, the eventually, thank heavens, the bell went. So I went home. I thought, well, the, the longest day of my life. It turned out that was the morning recess. Uh, that's going to school. You only, you only remember the this funny thing, so that was that was a strange thing to do. All the all there were all the teachers mostly were very good. But unfortunately we had some of the teachers there we had a man, a Mr Mole, who was a, a war veteran, uh, had been shot and had a plate in his head and he was he would, you'd get to school sometimes and sort of you'd walk into class and he'd be sitting at his desk holding his head. He must have had a terrible life, but he had to earn some money, I suppose, a teacher. Doug recounted what Perth and Subiaco were like when he was growing up. Uh, horses were up and down the streets all the time, uh, delivering things and things like that. And there was, if a horse was stopped for a while and left what horses leave, manure, uh, the, the, lo- the uh, local people would rush out and get their fertiliser from that. Perth or Subiaco, yes, you had running water. Uh, some of the, the roads were sealed. Uh, electricity, but all you really, really had with electricity was uh, like that. A light hanging from the middle of the room, uh, and uh, that's the only light that you did have, uh, and you didn't use that for anything else. And then, when things started to be manufactured that used electricity, they didn't have plugs on the wall or anything, and you'd see people would have got up on the and plugged in something into that into their <laughs> into their lights. That was a very much a working class suburb. I guess not. Not that they could. The only people that could legitimately work were strangely widows. They were permitted, and you see a lot of the hotels. Uh, the proprietors of those were 
ladies, and they they were they ran some excellent hotels. If you were a, te- a teacher or trainee teacher and you got married, yes, lost you lost your job. Amongst uh, when I was at school, at uh, I guess the kids were gang gangs. I don't know, but anyway, I I had a bit of a, a fight with a kid. Uh, and uh, he had a razor blade, and uh, I, I got gashed across here. Big scar still there. Now the the only only car in uh, in of all the teachers in that school was the headmaster. So he got up, got his, into his car, which was one of those things in which the gear stick was outside the door. Anyway, but he drove me. Well, it was only oh, half a kilometre up to the children's hospital. I can remember. Uh, I was bleeding everywhere, and uh, taken in, and the matron, they just sort of held me down and stitched me up. And the the, the thing is, the stitches didn't sort of work very well, so the scar well, was about the centimetre wide eventually. Uh, and then they somehow must have got in touch with my mother, who walked up from where we were living in Conglet Road, and... Uh, she would have walked up there and picked me and carried me home. I must have been pretty heavy. Well, I wasn't, I suppose. But uh, that that was it. And, but at those times, there used to be what they called the razor gangs. Not the nicest of, of people. And that was they were using these razors. Doug's father was a vet and he recounted to us the challenge of following in his father's footsteps and eventually choosing his own path. Dad wanted me to be a vet. Uh, eventually went to school, did leaving at modern school, and then I had to do my first year of veterinary science in uh, UWA, or really of science. But in the, as I was being controlled from... Uh, I was going to uh, Adelaide. We'd have to go there after the first year. But in that time, I had to spend quite a lot of time uh, as you know, working on a farm or something like that. And uh, so, fortunately, I was uh, went out with my father in because uh, at the at about that time there was a lot of uh, bovine tuberculosis, if you've ever heard of that. Which is, uh, there was a whole ward in the children's hospital of children with that. But then I, she said, oh, Dad said, you've got to learn to do this. And I thought that was about the last thing. I, what, what I was frightened of the damn things. And then also, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but when, when a, they're expecting a, a calf, you put your arm way up at the backside. I thought, do this for a no way. <laughs> oh, I wasn't cut out to be that sort of a, a person. And that was... Uh, so I thought, no, I can't do this. So at the end, I think, I did all right, I think. But anyway, I said, no, I don't want to go back. Doug and one of his closest childhood friends, Ivan Gunning, had ideas of fighting in the war, an idea which was born out of a lack of understanding of what war truly entailed. We, we were seven, 16, 17. We were quite stupid, I think. Now, we were... Very much loyalist, very much English or British, but none of our relations ever t- spoke of the horrors of war. 
They just didn't talk about it. And so, yes, we were going to go into the, both in the army. And then the war ended just, just before, before the final exams. We both worked hard. It, anyway, uh, that's, that's what happened. But yes, we were going, going in the war. And, and it's not until later that we, we've heard of the horrors of the war. But you, you weren't told that. We, were, we heard that, say, Darwin had been bombed, but they never told, told us. It, there, were, there, there was bombings right down room, right down. Uh, so the public, we didn't know, stupidly, uh, because the, uh, Darwin was bombed more than Pearl Harbor. Um, so then both, well, both Ivan and I had to decide, well, had to change our minds, but we'd never, we would have gone quite stupidly. Destroyed you, my mother, one of her relations had been in the First World War and had received the military medal. Now, he never told us anything about it, and we were... Uh, as a little boy, and he he used to come up the farm, and he we'd go out walks together. This fellow, which uh, and he was the son of the blacksmith, uh, and he went. But uh, they don't. No, he wouldn't talk about it, and it wasn't until by chance years later I heard from a fellow at a doctor's surgery, and I said I was from Pingley. And he sort of was sitting next to me. He said, oh, you know Ken Holyoke? I said, oh, I said, yes. He said, well, he, and then he said, you knew he won the military medal? I said, well, yes, I do. And uh, he did know that. And he said, well, you know what? And he had been there with him. He was able to go right. He was, there was a German gun post which was wiping out his platoon, I think it was. And somehow they, he said, we never knew where he was. He disappeared. And they said that the, the, the gun stopped and he apparently had crept all the way around the back and come into the back of these and he had three bullets and there were five Germans and he had a bayonet and they were all killed. Now, years later, when I was about... Oh, seven or eight, I suppose, nine. He committed suicide. And they talk, they, now they'd say there's more men committed suicide from the Vietnamese War than were killed there. And under, at the, when, um, after the war, there were men that they called shell-shocked in those days. And... In there's Lemnosa Hospital near IDB there, Infectious Diseases Hospital as it was, and you'd see these men, no feds or they, just wandering around. No one, we didn't care anyway. It never, never occurred to us how terrible it was. In Collins Street, in West Perth, there was the uh, a, a whole lot of men that. Uh, it was sort of like a club, and they would go there, uh, and they would have uh, they'd have limbs replaced, and 
And there was one, one of this kid's younger brother, Derbert Holyoke, was shot in Gallipoli. He was only 17 then. Uh, and the winter did respond. So, but he was virtually a, a cripple from there on. But they didn't get much job when he, he didn't compensation. He finished up working in the main general post office uh, as a lift driver. Um. Yeah, I really, he's really grumpy. Oh, we yeah. were great, very grumpy, really, and not. Uh, he wasn't very uh, forgiving of other people's faults. We were we were great friends. He was my best man, and vice versa. Uh, he, he he had a heart on you, no heart attack when Laurie Connell was in strife. Yes. And he lived just down down here. Uh, and I used to ride my bike down. And we see, still see Dixie, that's his wife. Uh, and she was a lovely, is a lovely lady. But, uh, uh, but I, I never, ever talked anything l- legal or otherwise. If, not that I knew anything. But the thing is that I always felt that he, that was his life. He, he wanted, there was other things. So... Uh, You've done your high school? I saw a job, and I didn't know it was Mac Robertson Confectioners. Actually, we've got the old gold, Freddo Frogs. Uh, you name any chocolate cherry ripe, they were all Mac Robertson. Uh, Cadbury's took a, bought them out. What they did, the family, which had been a big business, uh, they put an all new fair factory to manufacture in Melbourne. But they used to make everything. They, they had their own dairies for their milk. They grew their own cocoa beans up in New Guinea. Uh, everything the family did, uh, the old fellow had started it. And the, uh, so the, they were, they were by far the biggest in, but they over, overspent and the family, a lot of them wanted out. So Cadbury's took them over. So then what well, I, I was a sales representative, um, which that's another story. There were all the, the hotels in, in country towns all had a display room. There'd be one room in which the, the fellows coming along with clothing samples and things like that would lay them out. With the, uh, And there were a lot of... There was a commercial travellers club. They had a... I, uh, they were in St George's Terrace, the uh, uh, Commercial Tra- Travellers Association building, and they had, or just men only would stay there. Very, very good situation. It was a club. The general manager from Mac Robinson came across one day and uh, offered me a position of assistance to, the, to him in Melbourne. And uh, but that, it was a Thursday, Friday, and we were going up to a wedding of a relation in Pingley. I got there, and my, my uncle, my mother's brother, said, "Melbourne, you don't want to go there. It's cold us there in the Air Force during the war. Cold, miserable place." He said, "Oh, the this down." He said, "The uh, the news agent down here has got uh, is very he's in the hospital in Royal Perth. 
His, both of his sons are not at all interested in it. They were very staunch Baptists and they were overseas doing good works. He said, go, just offer him. Robert didn't have any money. But uh, anyway, as, I, as we then finished up going back to Pingley, and as uh, and now my, my, my father had then had died, my mother was a quadriplegic and she was living, she had a, a, a tumour in the spinal cord. Uh, and so, but we lived in, the, we had a, a, my father that had built a house, a flat on the side of the home in Subi. So uh, he said, and the firm, Mac Roberts said, well, we know that your mother lives with you, so you, we'll, all, all costs to bring her across, we will put up with, or whatever. Which was, uh, I resigned, and uh, my mother said she would obviously would have done anything for me not to, not to go, because my sister was then married to a farmer in Hyden. We were, clo we were a close family. Very, I was very fond of my mother. So she she went somewhere. It's a big. It was an ex bank building that was. That's where we went to, and uh, it was an experience. We were there twenty two years. I remember driving home through the forest. This is terrible. We've got three children down. We'd bought the house for them in Webb Street in Cottesloe, and uh, by then they both they were going to uni. So uh, Megan was only at, I went home and I said to Margaret, and I remember we worked out you know, for and against, should we sell, should we stay here? Uh, we had built on to the business and it had been very, very good. But we were so lucky. So in that things changed. I've, I've always felt... Things happened. I never planned it. I, being this, Mark says I did. We did talk about it, but anyway, but we we uh, came down. We went. Where are we going to live? And this, uh, we had a friend round round the corner. Then, you know, who, and oh, she had been a teacher in Pendley, and she used to come in our place because we had hot water and things like that. Uh, so. We phoned her and she said, oh, there's a house just round the corner, which was this, you should come down. That, that, and things just happened, we bought it. Doug told us how he met his wife, Margaret, and about the tragic loss of their firstborn child. She met through friends. Um, one of my uh, primary school friends, uh, and we lived close by one another, um, uh, became, he married a lassie um, who uh, was nursing. She was at the Princess Margaret, but her sister was, was nursing at Fremantle. Uh, and that Margaret was nursing at Fremantle, so they lived in Cottesloe near the OBH. They were going farming people. And we... Uh, we would go out together. The girls had to be 
you had, had to be inside by 11 o'clock, even on your days, your own days off. So we, well, I think we were engaged, engaged quite quickly, three weeks, I think, she didn't know that, or something. Anyway, uh, we said we'd wait for a year and then we got married and that's about 65 or 66 years ago, something like that. And she remembers those sad things. She has an amazing memory. Uh, so that's uh, but the romance was, and she got a was uh, got her very well with all with all our rallies. Our first child, and you are, ah, in Pingley, he went up as a, went up with us, of course, and he was very badly scolded, which was terrible uh, and he, anyway he doctored local hospital but we were they were terrible they wouldn't even let her go and see him and we hadn't I hadn't seen him for weeks Mark hadn't seen him and it would, that we would take it we now you wouldn't take it no one would take it it seemed like ages maybe six weeks two months a long time and then of course we was transferred well we were fortunate so Mark could stay with uh, Artie Beatrice, and then he he died from died, and that was uh, it ruined her life. It has I feel ruined her life. People say, "Well, you'll get over it, or time will cure it." Actually, you could, it makes you cross. You don't, and things you may not remember, but a piece of music, someone will say something. And it all comes flooding back, the, the misery of that. Well, at the time, uh, Marg was pregnant with, with Stephanie. Uh, and I remember her sort of telling him that he, he was going to have a, a, a little a, a sister, which he never knew. But she just sat with him for all that time. And she never forgave, forgave herself. He's, uh, he's been buried in Pingley and I've got a lot of my mother's family who I'm very fond of and a stupid way of mine, I, I feel he's with family there. We asked Doug how he would sum up his life. Oh, lucky. Had uh, sad things there. Married a, 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 a lassie that was a brilliant cook, lovely voice, very shy. Uh, my mother was, I was very fond of her, she spoiled me. All the ladies in the, her family spoiled me. Well, that's what my sister said anyway. <laughs> Anyone related, we just get on with people. I'm lucky, like this morning, a couple of neighbours up sort of just went and said, coffee's on, you're ready, and he comes down. Our grandchildren are just all oh, some nice youngsters. So I've been lucky. So I was always so lucky, you know. You know. To me, it, it wasn't as hard as some people's lives. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this story, please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. 
If you would like to listen to more stories, check out our upcoming events, subscribe to our mailing list, or find out more about what we do, head to www.centerforstories.com.